Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. All throughout the Bible, people have amazing encounters with God. You ever wish that would happen to you? Rarely were those encounters without challenge or sacrifice, but they were always life-changing. Join us for a three-part series as we discover how to have an encounter with God. All right, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. We wanted to share that story with you just to remind you that there is power to your invitation. The Holy Spirit is with you, and we go out and talk to people and invite them, especially to Easter and Christmas. I know you've probably been talking to coworkers and neighbors, and, and they've kind of just kind of washed it off or ignored you for a while, but uh, your, your reception is twice as likely, maybe even more than twice as likely when it comes to Easter and Christmas. So when you came in, you had some cards, some invites on your your seat for you to go out and use these with the people you work with, the people you live next door to, and, and people in your family. Uh, you know, so Aaron and Kelly, you hear their testimony last year. They got an invite at, at uh, Easter, actually, so it's one year, and, and they were looking for a church. And so often we think that we should be ashamed and scared to invite people, but so many times people are actually looking for a spiritual family. They're looking for a great place to worship, or uh, they're just looking for Jesus. And so this isn't the only church, I mean, at all, but let's invite them, let's, let's go out and, and make a difference. And, you know, so not only because of, of Aaron and Kelly receiving that invitation, but they've, they, they run a business and they've invited a lot of the folks that work with them. So I think about five families have now found their home here at Grace Life in a church, uh, life-giving church, uh, all because of that invitation. So someone should be excited and, and willing to go and use these. Ready? Yeah? Got that? Cool. We're wrapping up a series today we've been working on for two weeks up until now, so a three-part series talking about an encounter, how to have an encounter with God. And the idea for this series comes out of so many times in the Bible we see these people had these amazing encounters, just crazy things happened, and it radically changed their lives. And so what we are after in these three weeks is that, first of all, we'd get a desire to have something like that with God. And and that if there are any fears in us, that I know there are some, that we'd have those removed and then ultimately that it would prepare us, it would put us in a position to have an encounter with God. And when I I first became the senior pastor of Grace Life, I decided I needed an encounter because, uh, you know, up until then I was the associate pastor. I was able to just do what somebody told me. And that was, you know, for... People that are frustrated if you're in a job where you just have to do what people tell you, it's actually a good job sometimes. <laughs> like nothing, nothing's on your shoulders, just do what people tell you. But when I became the senior pastor, I knew that suddenly there were things on my shoulders. I suddenly had to decide where are we going, what are we doing. I, I need to hear from God in a new way. So I, I thought, man, who knows what I'm going through? And I looked at Scripture and came up with Moses. Moses knew what I was going through, right? Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt and into a new place, and, and it didn't always go well. And then they had great moments and bad moments and great moments and bad moments. I said, man, Moses knows knows where I am. So I decided I'd do exactly what Moses did. If you guys know the story, he left Egypt and he went on the top of a mountain to meet with God. So I, I called around and I found there actually is a mountaintop prayer retreat in North Carolina. I found this place. And so it, literally on top of a mountain, this guy built like a chapel and this house with, with suites in it for guests to come and just pray. And so I decided I had to go up a mountain too, because you know, Moses on the top of the mountain got like the 10 commandments and he got to see God. It was really cool and amazing. No one told me though, that this was you like needed to own a North Carolina truck to get up this North Carolina mountain. Uh, my little Volvo was like, back the other way. It's like, Satan is trying to stop me from getting to God. 
I did eventually make it up. It was a challenge. I really did thought I was going to fall off the mountain. But anyway, got to there eventually, spent three days there. I was fasting, no food, just me, my Bible, and I uh, thought Jesus, but apparently nothing happened. And, and so I've, I've tried to do this more over the years of like, oh, I need to hear from God. I need to have encounters with God. And, and I've gotten better at it. I've gotten to a point where just uh, January, a couple of months ago, went away uh, to kind of seek God for a new year. Where are we? What are we doing? I'm going to tell you, I had the most amazing time. And uh, so here are some differences. The first one is I went to the beach. Come on, anybody. God is at the beach just like he's at the top of a mountain. If you've ever been to the Caribbean, you know God made that place. I mean, blue water, white sand. Unfortunately, I only went to a South Carolina beach, which is like a mud puddle. Just You just can't see to the other side of this mud puddle. That's what it's like. But anyway, God was still there. And he met me uh, really in an amazing way. I heard so much from him about my own life, about our family, some direction and vision, but also us as a church. And I came away just pumped and excited. And, and even to this day, still talking with the staff about things that God said to me in January, this is where we're headed. So it definitely became a marker. And, and some of the differences, of course, another one is I ate. I decided you can fast. You can fast a lot. We do fast a lot. I think it's important, but you don't always have to fast when you're by yourself. That might be like a perfect storm of just too many things. So uh, I, I was eating, having a good time talking to Jesus. Jesus and I would go to dinner together, uh, which people might thought was weird in the restaurant that I was talking to uh, my food or something. Anyway, I had a great time for four days. And, and uh, you know, but the most important thing was this. I went prepared. You know, the first time I did this about six or seven years ago, I just thought all you got to do is go sit on top of a mountain. I literally did that, went and sat on top of the mountain and just, and, and that's when nothing happened. You know, when you just like walk out there and wait, you don't always get something. And so here, here's what happened is I felt this time to go through my journal and, and, and write down what is it that I need from God? And also, what has God been saying to me? What do I think God wants to talk to me about? So I went on this adventure way more prepared and that is really what this comes down to is getting ourselves prepared for an encounter getting into that position so what i hope by now after these three weeks is that you've gotten to a place where you're saying yes i would like for god to do something more in my life i'd really like to have some sort of an encounter that i look back and i can go this this has changed what i was doing this has changed who i am this has changed where i am headed and so what we are doing is just looking at one example in Scripture. It's a guy named Jacob. He had multiple encounters with God, and we're just looking at one of them. But I want you to know this. There is not one single formula. If we were to look at all the different encounters that people had in the Bible, there were many. And there were many ways that God went about doing it. And different things happened in each one. And so we're trying to just look for some patterns that would be helpful and the reason we're using this one is because in this one case, Jacob, better than any other example we see, put himself in a position for God to do something. He recognized what was not right about what was going on in his life and said, let me prepare to meet God. Once God said, I want to meet with you, he said, okay, let me prepare and get ready for that. And so that's what we are looking at. And if you've been here, we've been using this one example. I'm just going to uh, show you just the first two sentences out of it this morning. You don't have to turn there because we're actually going to look at something else as a more important passage. So out of Genesis 35, we've been finding this story. It says, God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so what we've been talking about 
is how Jacob is on a journey. He left home and he went through Bethel to go and get away from his brother, but also to find a wife. Now he's married, has a family, has a huge family, has lots of sons, has lots of grandchildren, lots of servants. They've taken over another city and taken all of those people with them. And so for him, this, there's a lot of people with him. And so when God says, I'd like you to go back to Bethel, the reason that's significant again is because he had an encounter there and God says, we're going to follow up on that encounter with one that seals the deal. Come and meet me at Bethel again. And Jacob says, okay, I think we need to do something to get ready. And he tells everyone with him to do three things, three things we began looking at last week. And so he said, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, first of all, put away the foreign gods. And second of all, purify yourselves And third of all, change your garments. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. And if you were here for part one, we began the series looking at this entire chapter, the whole story. What did he get from this encounter? What does God do in an encounter most of the time? What does God do in an encounter every time? That's part one. If you need that, go back and get it. Last week, we started the idea of preparation. We looked at foreign gods and understand it's different for us. We don't have statues that we bow down to with other names, but what we do have are things in our lives that come between us and God. They are things that take our priority, they take our affection, they take our worship, they take our obedience. And so we've, we've said whatever takes our priority, our obedience and our affection from God, those things are our foreign gods. And so now we get to the last two things that Jacob said to do. And I'm going to tell you when I began to do this, as a series, I thought, uh, you know, six months ago when I started outlining this, that I would spend two weeks on these two things. I would come in one week and we'd talk about what it means to purify ourselves. And then we'd come back the next week and look at what does it mean to change our garments. But then as I began doing study for this and researching, what I discovered is these two things are completely inseparable. And there really is no way to talk about one without talking about the other, because as you do one, you do the other. And as you do the other, you do one. They go together. And to kind of give you an example, I, I love backpacking. I love to get together with a bunch of guys that like to just go out in the woods and just like go out in the woods. That's just fun. Come on, any men with me want to go out in the woods and hang out? Cool, yeah. All right, well, that was not a very, we need some Tim Taylor kind of grunts in the room or something going with that. That was, that was weak. Okay, all right. Anyway, so we'll go away for like three days and we'll wander around in the woods and the wilderness and hopefully find our way back out. But, when, you know, when you, at that time you're, it, it's hot and you're carrying your backpack and you got all this this stuff with you, and so you're sweating all during the day, and, you know, then you're digging in the dirt and, you know, whatever, and and you got dirt all over you, and then you're cooking your food over a fire, so smoke is all over you, and so you come home to your wife, and you've got this wonderful aroma of, like, sweat and dirt and smoke, and that's when dirt, when dirt smells good, you know you got a problem, right? You know, I mean, come on, that's like the best part of the combination, and my wife just comes running to the door to give me this great big hug and say, honey, I missed you so, yeah, that, not at all, guys, right? I'm glad. I got somebody back there that's bearing, like, bearing witness with me. Now, the way that works is she's on the other side of the kitchen, points to our stairs. Shower, please. Now, I want you to imagine if I go upstairs and, and take my shower and I get out of the shower and I'm in a hurry to see my wife, so I put back on the same clothes I was wearing while I was backpacking. Yeah, that's not going to work, is it? How about the other way? How about I'm so excited to see my wife, I just run upstairs and you know, put on some clean clothes and run back down. Is that going to work? No. So what it turns out is this idea of getting clean and changing our garments, the two kind of go together. I think you can understand sort of how that works. And so what I want us to do for today is to to look at the one that I think is more challenging. If I were to talk to you about purify yourself, I think you could almost begin to figure that out. Uh, Some of, I think many of us could actually figure it out. 
Purify yourself. You could sit down and go, okay, what do I do? What is in me that is not godly? Let me make a list. Let me work on it. Let me get rid of that. And, and when we think about changing your garments for Jacob's people, that was easy. I mean, it was, it was thousands of years ago. They're wandering around the desert. Who knows the last time they had a bath or a shower? Okay, go, literally, change clothes into something that doesn't stink. You're stinky, right? And same just like the backpacking thing. It's easy to understand what that means. But for you and me today, a really good question. What in the world does it mean to spiritually, in 2017, change our garments? And so I'm going to show you a couple of passages that I think will help make sense of this. The first one is a parable that Jesus taught, talking about the importance of our garments. It's Matthew 22. This is, if you will be here a little bit, if you want to turn with me. If not, it'll be on the screen, starting at the very beginning. And, and Jesus began to speak to them again in parables. And so this is what he said. He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a great wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. I'm going to jump to verse 8. So then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Man, when you first read this story, if you're new to following Jesus and you just begin to read this, you think, man, God is like kind of like schizophrenic, psychotic. I mean, something's weird here. He goes out and he invites everybody in. And just because of the way one guy's dressed, he gets thrown out into this place that's described the same as hell, right? So actually, God's not schizophrenic. Let's make sense of this. This parable is incredibly obvious in its meaning. Jesus isn't trying to hide much at all here. The king, of course, is God. The people who were originally invited to the wedding feast of his son Jesus were the Jews. Unfortunately, they uh, wholeheartedly rejected Jesus as the son of God. They didn't want to be a part of the wedding feast. And so God says, go out into the rest of the world. Go out to everywhere and, and invite as many as you find. And so that's where you and I today get to be a part of the kingdom of God. And, and so we're invited to the wedding, but this is where the great mistake is, is because is we think just because we have an invitation to the wedding that that's all that matters. And I want you to imagine like this, if you could go back in time and, and you are a peasant, you're a peasant and, and you've got like a sheep and a donkey following you and you've been working on your farm all day and they come and say, hey, the king's guests aren't coming, would you like to come? And you run home to your wife and say, honey, you won't believe it, there's a wedding the king's son is getting married and his guest can't go. We've been invited. And the first thing you would do is put on your best. You would change your garments. You would get cleaned up. You're getting ready to go to the king's palace to see the wedding of his son, right? And so the way that we have this meaning is, is the same thing uh, when we understand we have got to change our garments. It, we, we think as humanity just because God has said, I invite you to know who my son is. I invite you into my kingdom that, they're, that we're done. And there are too many people that unfortunately might go to church on occasion. They might go to church every single Sunday and they think all they need is this great invitation from God. The invitation alone is not enough. There's a garment change that must take place. And the question is, what is that? Jesus. 
That's the garment change. Jesus. That when you and I go and stand before God, it's not enough to hold up an invitation. I have an invitation. No, no, we have to have the wedding garment of Jesus. It's the character of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, and the righteousness of Jesus. And that is what we wear to the wedding feast. And so I want to show you that this garment change actually takes place kind of in two steps. It's it's, it's kind of a two-step process. The Bible uses the metaphor of changing our clothes, changing our garments, putting on uh, new clothes and putting on a new self and all these types of of language all throughout Scripture. It's it's very abundantly used. But I want to show you just two. I'm not going to take you through the whole Bible. Somebody say thank you. Just to show you two this morning. And the first one comes out of the Old Testament. And it's actually an Old Testament prophecy. And a prophet is seeing in a vision and God is showing him something. So it's out of Zechariah. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. I want to make sure we just stop and understand that. In the Old Testament times, the high priest represented all of God's people. Once a year, the high priest would go into the inner parts of the temple to make atonement for all the people because he was the high priest he was able to represent all of the people of God so in this vision what we have is the one who represents all of the people of God so in essence all of the people of God all throughout history are standing here at this point and this and Satan is standing there as the accuser and what you need to know is that Satan still carries on always has had the primary activity of being an accuser to the people of God. That has never changed. He is still today constantly being an accuser to the people of God saying, look at Joe. Joe's not good enough. Look at Kent. Kent didn't do enough right this week. Look at the garments he's wearing. They're not the right ones. Look at what, no, he doesn't have on the right garments. But I want you to see the amazing love we have in our Father, what he did when, when this happened, when Satan stands and he accuses us, it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. You see, when you and I come before God, And Satan says, you're not good enough. Look at your garments. God says, that's okay, I'll change them. See, what we need to understand is when God changes our garments, he clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus. And I know that word righteousness can be a big churchy word. Some of you may say, I'm not really sure what it means. Uh, Sounds good, I'm glad. I think that's a good thing. Is that a good thing? Uh, The best way that I can explain it that I think helps all of us is it is simply the rightness of Jesus. See, here's what it comes down to. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus was perfect. What that meant is is he was right with God. There was no sin in between him. He had no other priorities in between him and God. He had no other affections and no other values standing between him and God. He was right with God. He had the ability just to walk into the presence of God and say, hey, dad, what's up? And people who have things in between them because they're not right with God, they don't have that. I want you to imagine it's like two, two teenage boys that take their father's car out and, and, and the, the older one is driving the car and he's acting foolish and driving too fast and the younger one knows better. He knows the father and he says, hey, you need to slow down. This is dad's car. It's his favorite car. I mean, this is like a classic, dude. Don't, don't act like this. And then, you know, he's just still goofing off and driving and he, he bumps into a tree. So they come back home. You can imagine how this encounter is going to go. 
the younger son who is right with his dad is just going to run in. Hey, dad, what's up? And the other one's going to hang out in the hallway ashamed of what he's done. Trying to figure out what in the world can I say when I go in that room that's not going to make me look like I'm in trouble. And so you and I are the, we're the ones that have been driving the car. We stand out in the hallway saying, I would love to go and be in the presence of God, but I know that I'm wrong. I know that I've done, I know there's something in between us. I know that I should be ashamed of what I've done. But Jesus is able to run right into the room. And so what God does when Satan points at you and says, you ran the car into a tree. God walks over and he takes the rightness of Jesus. He takes what Jesus is wearing and he puts it on us and says, I don't see it anymore. I just see my son. It's the rightness of Jesus. When God changes our garments, he puts the righteousness of Jesus on us. That's what he clothes us with. And here's the, the, the thing to catch is this happens once. Once. Only once. It's at that one point in your life where you recognize Jesus died for you, you want to live for him, and there is an exchange. It's when our loving Father, God in heaven, says, I love you enough to send my son for you, and it's at the exact same time when a just God in heaven takes the gavel and declares, you are right with me. One time garment change, never to be done again. But then there's something you and I still get to do. We still get to change our garments in another way. I want you to see this out of Ephesians. And it says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, when we change our garments, we are clothed with the character and nature of Jesus. We become clothed with the nature and character of Jesus. Did I say that right? Yes, thank you. And so what we're talking about is this, this big word, sanctification. And all that means is that we spend the rest of our lives becoming more like God. Remember that part about purify yourself? We spend the rest of our lives becoming more like Him. It's an ongoing garment change. Every moment of every day of our lives, we are constantly making decisions and wanting to be more like Him. I want you to see these, these two parts of our garment change back to back. We're going to put them on the screen together. When God changes our garments, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. But when we change our garments, we're clothed with the character and nature of Jesus. And if, if you're confused about that, they're going to leave that up for a minute while I just talk about this. I just want you to think about it this way. Costume party. Who's ever been to a costume party? Come on. Anybody? Costume party? Who loves costume parties? It has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just curious, right? All right, here's a real question. Who's ever actually won best costume at a costume party? Anybody in here? All right, there we go. Like, ooh, a couple of you. Last service, they, were, they, they didn't do that. I don't know what it is. I guess they don't get out much. But what do you expect from people that are at the first service, right? I mean, they're asleep early on Saturdays and up early on Sundays. I'm just kidding. Come on, y'all. Seeing if y'all are with me. I want you to imagine this. When you go to a costume party, you've got to decide who are you going to be. And so the first thing you're going to do is think, what did that person wear? And so you want to be, if you want to be Marilyn Monroe, you're going, to, you're going to wear a white dress, right? Okay. If you want to be James Bond, you're going to wear a tuxedo with a bow tie, right? Depending on which James Bond, it's going to depend on if it's a white jacket or a black jacket. That's, that's up to you. You know, if you're going to be Charlie Chaplin, you're going to get the cap and you're going to get the cane, right? I mean, the first thing you're going to decide is what do I put on outside? What do I wear? But then when you get to the party, how many of you have ever seen an epic costume party fail? Like, come on. Like, they, they went to a costume shop, they rented the outfit, but they have, like, zero in common with this person. 
And, and you're like, dude, you're just not pulling it off, like not at all. You see, one of the things that we do at the costume party is not just get dressed up, but we become the person. And if you think you're going to go and be Charlie Chaplin without having the walk, you have like no hope, right? Y'all get that? Come on. You people don't support me in nothing. Thank you, Troy, right? If you're going to try and be James Bond and say, hey, I'm Jimmy, that's not how that works. Currents, Jimmy Currents. I mean, come on, you got to, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, I'm not doing Marilyn Monroe. You're on your own for that one. Follow this. I think I lost you guys for a second. Two things on the screen. One time, God says, you're right with my son. Every day, every moment, we are constantly deciding if our life is going to represent the character and nature of Jesus. To go to this costume party one time, one time you put on the outfit. But then every moment of the party, you've got to think, how would this person say what I'm about to say? What accent would this person use? How does this person walk? How does this person talk? How would this person act? How would this person respond? And you see, that's what we actually do every day of our lives. When we take on the character and the nature of Jesus, every moment we have to think to ourselves, what would Jesus say in this? How would Jesus respond to this? What would Jesus do? Thank you, 1990s. There you go. They gave us that one. Anybody that's still got your jewelry, your bracelets, you can wear them. There you go. Because it really is a great question we need to ask constantly. What would Jesus do here? Because that's what needs to be coming out of me, the character and the nature of Jesus, right? And so the question then would become, okay, what about those of us that are curious about the character and nature of Jesus? Where do we learn that? I mean, some of us, we're new to church. We're new to this idea of following God. What does it mean? I don't even know if I know what Jesus would do. I've always thought that's a really good, you know, rebuttal to that. Many people are like, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what Jesus would say. I don't know what Jesus, what, how he would act. And so I want to share with you two things that God has given us that really are our outlets or our, our, our way to go and find out what is the character and nature of Jesus. And the, the first one is what's been written about him. And I think too often this becomes something other than what it is. For some of us, this becomes spiritual homework for a class we didn't sign up for. We're like, oh man, I got to read this again. You know, I got to check the box on the Bible reading guide, you know. Ugh. No, it's not spiritual homework. And then others of us look at this and we say, well, you know, it's a pretty good collection of some stories. No, 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 it's, it's God revealing himself to us. And, and so there are there's some in particular like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us the stories of Jesus, and this is great. We, we need to read this with an attitude that is not like, oh, i got to do this, but man, Jesus, what would your character be? What would your nature be? How, how, can, how can I learn how to do what you would do? Is, I just want to read what you did. It's like reading the biography of Jesus. And, and so if you've never really got into reading the Bible and that's new for you, just you know, start there. Do the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John part, and, and it's great, and it's fun. You know, but many people stop there, unfortunately, and they say, okay, well, I've got all I need about Jesus. And I say, well, no, not quite. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For the Father and I are one, which means the rest of this just became the character and nature of Jesus, too. But this is something we should want to do so that we know who we are, who we know, so we know who we're supposed to be. It's the character and nature of Jesus. And the second thing that, that really helps us know, what, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? 
Again, back to the costume party. How many of you have ever been to a costume party? You walk in the door and somebody on the other side of the room chose the same person. And they did it better. Like your mama dressed you up with stuff she found in her closet. This person went to a costume shop. Like they've got the real deal. And their accent is better than your accent, you know? And they just look like the person and you don't quite look like the person. You know, one of the best ways is to get around someone else who is being the same person. And when they are better at being that person, we learn from them. It's called the family of God. It's called community. It's the reason we do life groups here at Grace Life. We don't do life groups because you need an extra thing to do in your week. We do life groups because we need to go to the party where we see everybody else dressed like Jesus. And we walk in the door and say, you know what? I tried to be like Jesus yesterday at this thing at work and I failed miserably. So bad I got fired. Pretty much not like Jesus. So, hey, somebody tell me, what would Jesus have done in this situation? And somebody say, well, you know what? I've been through that. Here's what I've learned. And they share with you what Jesus would have done in that situation. Now, if I've lost your attention, come back because I need you to hear something. At this point, for many of you, this is going to sound like something you ought to do. Something you should do. Something you need to do. You need to be good, you need to act good, you need to pretend to be somebody you're not, you need to put on the whole charade and, and go out and try to do this thing in your own strength. After all, remember what we said earlier? Satan always has been and still is in the primary activity of accusing. The saddest part is when I stand up here every single Sunday, I know that some of you are hearing what I'm saying and some of you are hearing what I'm saying mixed with what the enemy is saying. You're not good enough. You can't do what he's saying. Yeah, God does love people, but not you. You know, whatever it is that the enemy's whispering. And I want you to understand right now, this whole idea of put on the character and nature of Jesus is not about you acting good. It's not about you working really hard on your own. But let's back up to this thing where God comes and says, oh, filthy garments, oh, Satan, you noticed? Well, watch this. And he clothes us with the rightness, the righteousness of Jesus. When he does that, there's something else that happens. And that is that inside he fills us with the spirit of Jesus. And so all of this, this character of Jesus and nature of Jesus doesn't flow out of you and me trying really hard. It flows out of us understanding the spirit of Jesus living inside of us and simply yielding to a partnership with him. And, and we, we get good at this over time if we just begin. We're not good at it at first when your boss says something to you and you go, oh yeah, let me tell you another. Because there's something inside of you going, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> what was that you are about to say? Uh, nothing at all, actually. And the more that we learn to listen to the leading of the Spirit of Jesus, the character and the nature of Jesus just flow out of us automatically. This isn't something where you've got to struggle to go, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope today. No, it's beautiful and it's easy because once God changed the garment and we can stand before him and we have the rightness of Jesus. And then he puts his spirit in us and we can walk throughout life just saying, okay, well, spirit of Jesus, what, what should I say here? What should I do here? And if we start to ask those questions, it becomes amazingly easy to be Jesus every day of our lives. It really becomes incredibly simple to do this. This is what we have to do. Put on Jesus. Can you guys remember that? Say it with me. Put on Jesus. Now the reason I wanted to start with that was because if I'd started with the idea of purify yourselves and then change your garments, 
we would have gotten this whole works mentality. Purify yourself. You're not good enough. You need to be better. You need to work really hard to be good. And you would have spent the rest of the time hearing more of what the accuser was saying than what I wanted to share. So what I wanted you to see is actually how this works. You see, as we put on a new garment, as we begin to have the character and nature of Jesus coming out of us, as we wear the character and nature of Jesus, that becomes more attractive. The more that we take on the character and nature of Jesus, the more that we remove the character and nature of ourselves, because there's just not room. The more we take on the character and nature of Jesus, the more we remove the character and nature of the world. It turns out that as you change your garments, you actually are purifying yourselves and you don't have to like work yourself to death to do it. You just have to follow the spirit of Jesus. You just have to put on Jesus. It becomes an incredibly simple thing for us to do. I want you to think about this. The garments that we wear represent who we are to the world. You guys know what I'm talking about? See somebody dressed in camouflage? They're a soldier. See somebody in black rimmed glasses with their skinny jeans rolled up? They're a hipster. You see somebody that looks like they got dressed in an Under Armour outlet? They're an athlete or a trainer. When you look at the way someone is dressed, the garments that they have on, we can tell who they are, but we can also tell what they're doing. We can tell by what someone is is wearing, the garments that they have on. Are they headed to a wedding or a day at the beach? And so my closing question for all of us today is really simple. When your family and your friends look at you, when they see who you are and what you're doing, Do they see Jesus? When this world looks at you and they see who you are and what you're doing, do they see Jesus? You know, we know one of the greatest disconnects for the rest of the world and the people of God is that there are so many people who say they are the people of God, but yet they are and do something completely different when they go out into the world. I just want you to think about this. What if, what, what impact could we have if when the world saw us, they saw Jesus? What do you think could happen when a dad walks in the door and his kids see Jesus, not an angry man they're afraid of? What do you think could happen if your coworkers saw you sitting at your desk and they saw Jesus, not the one who gossips? and cheats what would happen if a stranger that you stopped to help spontaneously could see Jesus what impact could we have in the world if everyone who saw us could see Jesus personally I think we could change the world if we just put on Jesus the righteousness the character the nature So I want to close by making sure you understand the righteousness. Once again, you need to know there are too many people who are are believing that all they need at the end of their life, when they die and go to heaven, all they needed was the invitation. They believe Jesus died for all of humanity, so as long as that invitation is there, they are good. No, unfortunately, you need the right garment, and it's called Jesus. 
And it actually happens while you're still on earth in time. At some point in time for someone today, it is probably Palm Sunday, 2017, April 9th, where you recognize Jesus died for you and you say, now I want to live for you. It's a simple exchange. And at that moment, instantly, you're going to be clothed with the rightness of Jesus. God's going to look at you and he's no longer going to see what you've done, the sins of your life. He's going to see who his son is and the work that he's doing in you. If you have never done that, if you've never been aware of that reality, if you've thought up until this point that all you needed was to go to church a little and have the invitation with you when you get there, if you've never responded to the truth and changing your garment, I want to help you do that this morning. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come down front. Nothing weird. We're just going to all pray right where we're seated. We're going to have a conversation with God. Will you join me? Say something like this to yourself and God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for the invitation. But I thank you even more that you've given me your rightness, that you've changed my garments once and for all. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at Grace Life Church. Thank you.